back to Beyond the Diamond. We're your hosts, Colby Rush and Hunter Broadbent. Remember to follow us on Insta at Beyond the Diamond Podcast and Twitter at Beyond the DIA Pod. Let's get right into today's show. All right, guys, welcome in. We're going to, with some MLB free agency news, we had the Corey Kluber signing just happen a few minutes ago. He came to the Bronx, along with DJ LeMay, who we saw signed back there this morning. Six million dollar deal. Colby, let's hear your take on those signings. All right. So DJ, I I was surprised he went for six years, to be honest. Because well, I'm surprised he went for 90 million because I know he wanted 110 or it was reported he wanted 110. The Yankees were probably offering him five for 85. He wanted five for 110. Um so to go down 20 million for an extra year to lower that AAV even more. It's a little surprising, but I guess he kind of probably felt out the market and said, oh, well, no team's really paying up, so might as well go back to a, a park where I know I can do well, have success. In the AL East, where the pitching is subpar, with some smaller parks with Fenway and Yankee Stadium, some domes with uh, Tropicana and Toronto, and then um, Camden, which he can, pro- he can hit in well, too. So, I don't know. It's interesting. I like it for them they definitely need him he's the best hitter on their team probably the best hitter in baseball so great move for the Yankees great move for DJ because he'll be like 38 by the time the contract's up so probably be right at the end of like being able to hit since he's a contact hitter so he can be able to sustain a little longer Kluber interesting because like I said uh, to you earlier it's a low low risk high reward signing where uh, we don't know the details yet, so I might be wrong with the money, but probably not that much money, probably for one or two years, if I had to guess, unless it's come out. I don't think it has. Um, and he's he's obviously not great. He had above five ERA last time he pitched. But I will say he has won two Cy Young. So, I mean, the the ceiling is there. The floor is very low. The ceiling is very high. So he could be that number two starter they've needed. He could also be a horrible pitcher for all we know, but it's not a bad signing at all. Yeah. I mean, I talked about in our first episode a little bit, the state of the Yankees pitching staff was a little rough with all the youth they have going on. I mean, it's Garrett Cole's the obvious number one, Evie Garcia, Jordan Montgomery, and such following them. That's not a lot of veteran rotation depth, especially after you're losing Hap, Paxton, hopefully Severino for them comes back at some point soon. Um, so, yeah, it was obviously very clear they needed another veteran presence in that rotation, and Kluber's lottery ticket, like you said, it could could go great, or he could show shades of the regression he had in 18, 19, 20. Um, it was starting to look rough for him. His stuff was ticking down a little bit, and, I mean, 20, he pitched an inning, so you can't even say that much. Sports have been good from him working out with driveline. So we'll see how that goes. It could could go either way, but I like that signing for them. I think anytime, as you mentioned, you can get a two-time Cy Young winner, you have to give it a shot. And for just a one or two-year deal, to have a bad move with those. And on to LeMahieu, I mean, look, it's no secret this guy was an absolute monster for the Yankees the last few years. You had a lot of Yankee fans pass. Manny Machado a few years ago, and not that he's been bad in San Diego by any means, but DJ LeMahieu has been an absolute game changer. The guy just hits and hits. He's very good move for the Yankees to bring him back 
they got happy with how the market played out. He was talking to some other teams, but obviously this is so weird right now with finances during COVID. So it worked out good for them. They got their rock in the lap back there. Six year, 90 million, pretty reasonable contract for both AAV and length, keeping up, keeping around for a long time. So both sides can be happy with. It. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. It's a, hey, the Yankees were fooling us clearly saying they were poor, a poor franchise now, spending all this money on the same day. So great smoke screen yeah. by the Yankees. Gotta love it. And you get that move. Almost looks like it's in retaliation to the Mets. Mets bringing in Cisco Lindor the other day. And we can't forget Carlos Carrasco, another yeah. former Indian that still has some potential, even as he's aging. Um, I mean, how can you not love that trade? Andre, he showed some nice, nice stuff this year, but I mean, you have to give, you have to give to get. So him and Josh Wolf, two big prospects. And then um, Ahmed Rosario, he's, He's had a nice little career, but if you can bring in a superstar like Francisco Lindor, that's a move that you have to do without hesitation, especially for a uh, new regime coming into the Mets front office. Yeah, and I mean, um, trading out, trading away both your other shortstop options shows that even if it's not going to happen right away, they're going to sign him long term because they believe he's the future, rightfully so. He's a five-tool superstar. So, I mean... That entire team, that an infield besides third base, probably great sign for the future. Hopefully, uh, they got some pitching now with Cookie's gonna. That's a that's a very good signing or trade, I think, because it's very under the radar. But he could be really good. He's he's still co- probably recovering from uh, the recovering from cancer, still a little bit with being in remission, but. If he can return to his form too, he's he's a legit pitcher. He he could be a number three behind Thor and uh, and Degrom for sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's hard not to love that move. I mean, he had a pretty nice year this year. Nothing amazing, but he's on his way back. You look at his resume; he's put up some great numbers. So it's definitely a good move for the Mets, and seems like just the. Uh, the first of many when you add that into James McCann and him who knows they'll probably do more but the Mets are definitely a team moving in the right direction right now and as you said it sure seems like they have every intention of extending him we know it's no secret that Steve Cohen has the money to spend and if you can lock up a superstar you do that mm-hmm. yeah which the Indians have not done uh training way Indians multiple have not done, Cy but... Young winners but oh well I don't Just know keep growing them on trees there in Cleveland. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder where, Sh- wonder where Shane Bieber so many go good young arms. Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> we can joke about it. In track record, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, um, and then I'd probably and say... In the NL East. Yeah, well, we're in the NL East. I'd probably say the Rom- uh, JT Romuto uh, uh, offer coming out earlier today. Five years, a hundred million, I believe. That where the Phillies, I guess Dombrowski found money somewhere because thought the Phillies were broke. <laughs> yeah, it's, it goes from them looking to trade Zach Wheeler a few weeks ago. You bring in Dombrowski. John Middleton says, "Oh no, we're not going anywhere. We can raise raise you, Dave Dombrowski, Steve Cohen." 
So they've made some good moves with the bullpen. Alvarado is a nice bounce back candidate. That guy's stuff is absolutely filthy. So I was, I was a fan of that trade. Archie Bradley, he's a proven commodity in the end. And Sam Coonrod, um, he's got good stuff. I know. Mm, no, you, I you have he, mixed I feelings he about had, this as a Giants fan. but I believe he had a nine ERA last year. I could be wrong. Could be 10. He sucks. Not gonna. He's, I, there's no Giants fan that ever liked him. We were all like, you should see all the meme pages after he got traded. It was like, all right, who's the new Giants player we can hate? Because he's gone, so we got to hate someone else now. He sucks. He may have good stuff. Yeah, I but guess he doesn't know my track it. record of looking at baseball savant a lot, you see like all the spin rate on his fastball and curveball, but that that's not a beautiful ERA. <laughs> yeah, he may have good stuff. He doesn't know how to use the stuff. So that's an issue. Maybe they can unlock it in him. I don't know. And, and we got uh, uh, Kip. Caleb Cotham, new pitching coach there in Philly, coming from the Reds, where they've turned around so many guys, uh, most notably Sonny Gray, after rough years in the Bronx. So we'll see how it goes. It's it's an interesting move, nonetheless. If it doesn't work out. Yeah, and then uh, the bit and it other was a big must signing. The other big signing from this uh, week was uh, Liam Hendricks uh, going from the A's to the White Sox uh, for what was it? four years 60 million i believe so yeah i think it was like eight i think it was it was somewhere around there it's it's a great deal i think it's a little high in aav but when you want a top reliever like he was rated by the shredder the number one reliever in baseball when you want a top reliever and you want to shore up a bullpen for a growing team like the white Sox, who probably the cream of the crop in the al for a very weak al this year you got to get your guy no matter how much it costs and with having all those guys on rookie contracts, it you can definitely afford it. I mean, it's been an interesting offseason for the White Sox, starting the Tony Larusa era 2.0. But you give him another great tool to use in the back of that pen to go along with guys like Aaron Bummer, Jace and company. I mean, that's going to be a very good bullpen, um, even after losing Alex Colomay. The window of contention is just opening for that team, should be open for a few years, so it lines up perfectly with Hendrick's contract length. So I was definitely a big fan for Rick Hahn. Yeah, it's a, it's a good deal for them. I think that'll definitely sharp the back end for sure with the, they just need some help on the front side of the uh, rotation now. Yes. Um, so Lance Lynn was a good start, but there's always yeah. some more work to be done. Yeah. And then the other big uh, news this week in MLB was, uh, Theo Epstein uh, going into the commissioner office uh, as a consultant role, whatever that means, focusing on on-field matters. Now, take that for what you want. We t- over here at Beyond the Diamond take that as he will be commissioner in 2024. <laughs> I mean, the guy's turned around the Red Sox and the Cubs, so no reason he can't send baseball in an even better direction. Um, it was a big deal. His his press conference leading the Cubs on November 17th. He had this quote to say, it's the greatest game in the world, but there are threats to it because of the way the game is evolving. And I take some responsibility for that because the executives like me who have spent a lot of time using analytics to try to optimize individual and team performance have unwittingly had a negative impact on the aesthetic value of the game and the entertainment value of the game. 
So this will kind of lead into our marketing discussion that we're going to have on the podcast today. But interesting quote from Theo there. I mean, he's built these teams on the foundation of analytics, but he's now seen with stuff like Game 6 of the World Series, Blake's pulled early, a discussion we could have all day. Obviously, an analytically driven decision. And Theo's pointing out that it's kind of getting out of hand and ruining the careers of a lot of good old school baseball people. So, I mean, it's hard not to love what Theo had to say here and he can bring baseball in a nice direction. I will say too about that quote, you don't usually hear guys own up to mistakes like that when they cause that big of a renaissance in the game. Not really a renaissance, like almost a destruction. But also I will say he never had, he used analytics, but not to the point where he's he's not like, Using, using the eye test, as we like to say. He, he'd he look at uh, Snell in game six and say, no, we're keeping him in. Even the analytics don't say to keep him in. Third time through the lineup, I don't care. He's dominant right now. Like, there's – Theo has that great mix of old school and new school, and that's what's made him so great with the Red Sox and Cubs and hopefully now with baseball in general, where he can – he uses analytics to, yes, build up a team and form that – basis but he also uses the eye test and the old school method of we don't have to follow the rules all the time like we can still go by some of these eye tests and just feeling out how we feel because analytics aren't always right we got to know that mm-hmm. yeah i mean obviously an impact on the game in terms of player development I mean, going through the minor leagues, guys getting players are getting smarter and smarter with the more information they have at their disposal. But it, it has gotten out of hand with a lot of this stuff because so many traditional baseball minds are being exiled because they're not heavy analytical thinkers. And there needs to be a good balance. And as you said, Theo realized that. Um, you just look at them he's had throughout his career. Terry Francona and Joe Madden, those guys are, are plenty traditional. And a good amount right down to Joe Madden taking out uh, Carl Edwards Jr. to bring in Mike Montgomery in game seven of the World Series. Um, he's going to do what he sees best on the field. And those are the guys Theo has has hired as his managers because he thinks, as it should be, analytics are a great supplement to baseball, but shouldn't be the number one rule and law to everything. Yeah, exactly. And that kind of leads into uh, our marketing talk. Well, first, uh, yeah, our marketing talk, because there's a lot of good things baseball does. We can both agree on that. And obviously, Theo knows that, too, as he's helped develop that. But there's also a lot of things they don't do well, including some of the rule changes that happened last year that sounds like are going to stay in place this year. Don't sound too appealing to uh, most fans in today's game. Uh, One (laughs) I can think of immediately is... uh, the ghost runner or the runner on second starting extra innings. Um, we're not playing wiffle ball. We're not playing one, a 2v2 wiffle ball with ghost runners. This is a professional baseball. We shouldn't be having a runner on second starting a game just to speed it up. It's extra innings is free baseball. There's no better baseball than extra, extra innings. That's a fact. Everyone enjoys that besides postseason baseball, of course. If you want to do the ghost runner thing, start in the once it gets like absurd, like 13th, 14th inning. But even then, you're not going to have those games like the Giants, Nationals, 18 inning postseason game. Like that could happen in the regular season, but you're not going to have it because you're having the runner start on second, a double automatically game over. Where's the fun in that? It just kind of takes that out of it. 
Yeah. And you, you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, it creates so much stress in the managers right out of the shoot. And I was going to say, if you, Rob Manfred means well with this rule change. I mean, during this season in the pandemic shortened year where pitchers didn't have the same time they normally would to get trained up, you didn't want guys getting burnt out in long extra inning games. So it's understand to have this in 2020, but I am definitely not a fan of keeping it beyond this because as you said, it's not wiffle ball. This is, this is baseball. If you want to save your pitchers a little bit, implement it in the 12th or 13th inning. So the rule can still stand. The games won't go ridiculously long. And I liked how they didn't have it in the postseason because there would be games just like that Giants Nationals one. Or, I mean, who didn't love watching Nathan Avaldi just go out and pitch the game of his life against the Dodgers in game three of the 18 World Series? I mean, those are special moments. And a rule change like this really eliminates that. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. Um, there's really no other words for it. It's It's not a good rule. The intent might be there, but... The execution of the rule is not not well. And speaking of rule changes from 2020 that might be sticking around for 2021, we have the seven-inning doubleheaders. So I know that you're, we both uh, aren't crazy about this. I mean, how I see it is baseball is a nine-inning game. Um, you know? It's the strategy is to be used throughout all nine innings. Teams are used to that. And you have a double header where you're playing two seven inning games. Your momentum's completely thrown off because it's in the seventh inning. You still feel like you have more time to come back. Uh, my grandpa was a longtime high school coach and his famous quote was always the game doesn't start till the seventh inning, just because that's really when everything picks up and it just encourages starters getting taken out early more and all that. But, um, Again, it's another thing that was, it was understandable for 2020 COVID. There were a lot of cancellations, especially right out of the shoot with the Marlins and Phillies games. So you need double headers to make up for it. And once again, the deal with the pitchers, like I just talked about, they weren't built up to go very long. So you shortened it a little bit, like, fine, I can live with it. for, But it's not something I want to see in years to come. Yeah, I mean... I agree with that. I, I will say, you know, seven inning games, sometimes they're refreshing. Like sometimes they're needed just like middle of July or end of July after like way after the all-star break, maybe a seven inning game here and there, but like having them all the time, like they did, or it sounds like they're planning to do. That's, that's not how baseball is. Like that takes away from what baseball is. You can, you can keep the rule fine. Cause it's good to like, I know for us, for college, like we have Wednesdays open this year, just in case of COVID cancellations. Fine, have days open for double header days where you can have seven inning games. That's fine, but like, don't make it a rule where you're just gonna have seven inning games all the time because that's what you want to do to speed the game up. Because that's not baseball. That's that's little league. I mean, and the league was using the 2020 season as a bridge to try out a lot of these things. The perfect excuse for them to try to implement a lot of rule changes in response to COVID and yeah, I mean, some of them like this, people have very passionate reactions on and just changing the fundamental game that much is it's a system shock. Um, and then a rule that a lot of people seem to like the universal DH might not having it. And the fact that we are now basically a month away from pitchers and catchers reporting and teams still don't for sure. If the, 
National League will allow a DH, that's that's a tough situation because that's a game changer. I mean, guys like Marcelo Zuna and Nelson Cruz with all the power in the world are sitting out there on the market right now. They don't know if I have 15 teams that want to sign me or 30. It's This is something they need to figure out quick um, because it's just holding up the baseball offseason finances right now and it's implementing strategy and that's the last thing you want to do. And like what we talked about in uh, episode one, I'm still all for Bud Black's idea where you have the the universal DH up until you take your starting pitcher out. Takes away all the, it get, adds even more strategy than just having an opener. It makes it a lot more strategical for managers and for guys like Larusa and older guys, they probably got to love that because they're going to ride their starters anyway. Guys like Cash might not love that so much because they're going to implement their uh, openers. But I kind of, if they're going to, if they don't want to do the universal DH, at least do like an abbreviation of it. So then you, because that's a rule that everyone loved. Yeah, I'm glad you brought the Bud Black idea up again because I think that's a really creative one. I like what he's doing with that. Um, so we'll see. Maybe maybe someone will listen to it. Maybe someone won't. But I think the more creativity, the better. And this is what we need. We need both sides to come to the table and try to figure out what's best for everybody involved. Um, Speaking of best for everybody involved, expanded playoffs, there's another one that can cause a lot of debate. I mean, yes, those three round wild card playing series were exciting, but again, in terms of a rule I wouldn't like to see beyond 2020, the division, if everybody has to play in a stressful three game series like that, you just need to get into the playoffs and there should be incentive for winning the division. I mean, in the normal playoff structure, game wild card game sure it was extremely stressful but that was a lot of fun to watch and i think baseball had it perfect like that so i'm not a fan of expanded playoffs for the long run especially because it took away all the crucial off days for pitchers to recover and you saw some guys slow down at the end of the world series because of it yeah i mean i'll add on to that i for a, a division like the nl west with the dodgers and padres probably the top two teams in baseball or two of the top like five teams to say. It doesn't matter who wins the division. They're both going to be top teams in the playoffs because this expanded playoffs makes it no need to win the division. Also, I will say, if you go back to 2014 with Bumgarner, in that wild card game against the Pirates, he threw a shutout. And then he went on to have his dominating postseason performance cement himself as probably the greatest postseason pitcher of all time. You're not going to see that anymore. One, because pitchers don't throw that much. Two, because that's too many games with not enough off days. There's no pitcher that can throw five five games with two off days. That's impossible. Yeah. Baumgartner did it. I think he threw two games on short rest, if I remember correctly. And then he had the uh, came out of the bullpen on short rest, too. You're not going to see a guy do that anyway, but it makes it even less likely with all, with even less off days. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, too, with the three-game wildcard play-in series, a lot of the times it's still just going to come down to a third game, which is basically the same as one-game play I mean, the one with Rick Ranaria bringing in basically his entire bullpen before the fifth inning against the A's, that game was pretty wild. But I think it would have been better if it was just a one-game wildcard, Lucas Giolito going at it rather than emptying the bullpen to go for it. Sure, it's exciting to watch, but 
I prefer just the one game format for all the reasons we've just said. I completely agree. And along another rule change along those lines that affected the world series and playoffs in general is the three batter minimum. Don't like that. It, it didn't speed up the game. If anything, it slowed it down because pitchers are getting tired. They're not used to pitching in high leverage situations for that long. Cause usually you can go matchups and you saw with like Nick Anderson, he was struggling at times in the world series cash couldn't pull him because he needed to pitch the three batters and that caused problems for the race. Yeah. I mean, in a normal world, you would think the race would probably go Anderson to face Mookie, Aaron loop to face Bellinger and then go to someone else after that. But obviously Anderson had to face all those guys and someone that was running on fumes. It was tough because he didn't really have much gas left in the tank and he was trying to empty out everything there, but it just, it just wasn't happening. So the three batter minimum, as you said, didn't really slow down the game much. So I don't see the point in keeping it beyond 2020. I'll also add having three batter minimum with like zero to two off days total. Those guys are going, a guy like Nick Anderson or a guy, um, any of not really the starters, but most relievers, those high leverage relievers, they're going every day. They're having a pitch to at least three batters. That's a ton of, that's way too many pitches a day. Even mm-hmm. if you're getting through at one, two, three, that's nine pitches every day. Your arm can't physically do that for an entire month. Like it's not healthy. Yeah. All I'll say is thank God that rule doesn't apply to the end of the inning. Like you can come in with two out and straight the guy out and then you're done. Yeah. That's the only thing I'll say about that one. That's very true. Um, and in terms of other 2020 rule changes, I know two ones that we definitely don't like. We don't have to spend too much time talking about them because I think we both feel the same way. The in-game video ban, that was that was bad. I mean, you had a lot of guys, J.D. Martinez, Javier Baez, Christian Yelich, they all cited it as something that really hurt them as guys dependent on video in-game. So that needs to come back in some form. There have been rumblings that they might want to put it on iPads instead. And then the neutral site World Series that was floated, Manfred had mentioned something he might think about continuing. But the atmosphere of a World Series is second to none, and that's something that needs to happen in home ballparks. It was another thing thing that just was a reason in 2020. The one thing I will say about the neutral site, if you're going to do that, do it like March Madness, where you're doing like, you're going like ESPN facilities, which this will lead into something else. You're going to like the ESPN facilities, which have, I think, six fields or something, four to six fields, I believe. And you're just doing like either a tournament or you're just doing the playoffs there. That would be fun because then the fans are traveling to Florida. So it's not necessarily a home ballpark, but it's also like that's a fun experience anyway. If you want to go, the, if you want to go that route, I don't necessarily say you should go that route, but if they're saying, let's go that route, fine, then do it somewhere where you can have like some fun with a ton of people and go to like, you can go to Disney there too. There's a ton of places in Florida. You can go to the beach, The one, but I'll also say that Texas field was pretty cool. We did get to see that. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. No doubt. I mean, it was a nice stage for the new ballpark. Um, the whole aspect of the bubble, it was a little weird to see fans in a bubble. And obviously, Justin Turner at the end kind of threw that off. So, I mean, <laughs> who knows? That's what the vaccines are pretty slow in the country right now. 
God forbid that's something they have to do again in 2021. They've obviously learned a lesson of what works and what doesn't. So it'll be interesting to see if they have to revert to that or if we can just have a little more normalcy. I agree. I, I mean, it's going to be weird for sure. It's not going to be – they're going to want it to be a normal season. And I, don't, I think maybe by the All-Star break, hopefully we'll get something of a normal season. But I think up until then, it's going to be tricky. Yeah, it definitely will be. So we'll see how it goes. A lot of these – Rules were stressful to keep in place. You see a lot of the leagues struggle with it right out of the gate and then get more adjusted to it. So hopefully it's not something that MLB has to deal with for too, too long um, this upcoming season. So there have been other changes that have been potentially discussed. We're not going to go too in-depth with them, but I'm just going to list some out. Tell me if there's any that stand out to you that you would like to see or that you absolutely hate. We have the pitch clock, we're drinking the strike zone, Miking up the umpire, I know that's one that they should definitely do so umpires can know. I mean, fans can know what umpires are reviewing during a replay challenge. And then the creative one of letting the top of the year come to bat in extra innings. Are there any of those that you're a fan of or you just don't want to see? So I love miking up umpires. I love miking up anyone. Uh, That is cool. for one, because fans would get an inside experience, but also because you'd get to see like what the thought process is behind balls and strikes. And like, maybe there is a bigger deal like behind that with what types of strike zones umpires are having, depending on the game. That's a bigger deal than people realize. Um, shrinking the strike zone, that's a tricky one because there is no set strike zone. It's all dependent on the umpire. So I'm not really sure about that one. Letting the top of the order come to bat uh, I'm not a fan of that is messing with the integrity of the game in my opinion um, the pitch clock one is tricky because uh, <laughs> I actually introduced this idea to Manfred and got a letter back saying that's a really good idea we should do that so I feel a little guilty about that um, that I brought that idea up maybe I didn't maybe he had already thought of that and made one make me feel good as a little seventh grader at Zoran Brothers High School but um, if I really did introduce that idea one, cool, because it's being talked about on national TV. Two, that sucks because it's a horrible rule in hindsight. Um, and it does nothing because the pace of play is not that bad compared to what I thought in seventh grade when I had zero attention span. Um, robot umpires, that's Manfred's <laughs> way of taking over the world, in my opinion. Um, he's trying to get robots to control our emotions and control how we behave. So no. Um, and then, yeah, there you go. Yeah. I mean, I don't think pace of play is as big a deal as people, especially, I hate to compare sports here, but you look at like last five minutes of an NBA game, a very popular sport in its own right. It'll take like half an hour to get through just a couple minutes. I don't think baseball is anywhere near that bad. And just while we're on the subject of comparing sports, game six of the NBA finals had 5.6 million viewers. And 13.25 tuned into game six of the World Series. So I think that kind of speaks for itself a little bit. I continue. Uh, Pitch clock, yeah. (laughs) I mean, baseball is the one sport that's not on a clock. That's a great story, though. I wasn't sure if you were going to tell it on the part or not, but it's a great story. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's something I don't feel is necessary. They've experimented with it in the minor leagues. So the hope is just that a lot of the guys coming up in baseball now are used to moving at a faster pace anyway. So we don't have any crazy long delays, but I think 
they limited the mound visits that kind of stopped that because in 2017 postseason with all the sign stealing concerns the mound visits were kind of going crazy so um that was that wasn't the worst idea um shrinking the strike zone that will should definitely up the game if they do that will it i'm not sure i think it might I'm, slow it down honestly yeah, i'm going back and forth on it now as i say that but you're getting a lot of walks so maybe expand it who knows that's just make it just make just it the entire field. almost as out of the, the top of the order come to bat that's i'm i'm not a with that one either it's just ruining the integrity of the game and yeah robot umps that's that's definitely something to keep an eye on but i think it's nice that you can kind of study an umpire know what his strike zone is like and you have room for interpretation from every umpire are they going to be perfect no they never will be but not everybody has an angel hernandez track record a lot of the umpires they do a fine job we might give them some but they, they do a good job on the whole so that's not something i feel really needs to come into play we can replace angel hernandez with a robot up he's yeah, that one i'm fine with yeah get you all right so now into and, uh, our before we our get into market. our yeah. so now into our own marketing ideas um so as we saw last week uh with the nfl again not trying to compare sports but this was very popular for uh, a lot of kids the nickelodeon broadcast with the slime zone of course <laughs> i know my i i tuned into that i'm not sure if you did hunter but it was very entertaining just watching guys run into fake slime and then have Sean Payton actually get slimed at the end of the game. Now, obviously, CBS and Nickelodeon are owned by the same uh, company. I forget what they're called. So that could work like that because you're not taking away viewers from each other because it's all going to the same uh, company. Now, is there a way baseball could do that? So I've thought of some ways. Um, one, baseball could just straight up partner with CBS. Boom, get actual Nickelodeon. That's harder than it seems because of the TBS, TN, TBS deals and all ESPN deals. Two, for Sunday night baseball, because ESPN and Disney are both owned by ABC, or owned by Disney, I forget. Um, yep. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's do a Disney version of Nickelodeon have like mickey mouse on there that would be fun like let's get some kids involved in this thing i, yeah, I don't know i'm just throwing awesome out some ideas, ideas. I, I very much like where you're at there um then you can even disneyland disney world put in a baseball village to get kids into it when they're visiting there with their parents i mean possibilities are endless but it's obviously a marketing campaign of mlb they want to get more kids involved because like we talked about with David McKinnon last week, a lot of the younger generation spends too much time inside and isn't focused on sports as guys like us growing up were. So it's a big that kids need to be drawn in and the Nickelodeon broadcast did very well for the NFL. So um, I love the idea of potentially doing something like that for kids as an alternate broadcast. Um, and yeah, Disney, the possibilities are endless really. And I mean, like I already said, the ESPN studios have the baseball field. Boom, tournament right around either keep the home run derby, take away the all-star game because it's pointless at this point. Give the guys a few days off. Have a three-day tournament like what the NBA is trying to do at the ESPN studios. Broadcast it all on Disney and ESPN. Fun. I let kids go to the games. 
have it like a Cooperstown type thing where it's kids only. I don't know. Fun. Yeah. I think that, that's awesome. Yeah. And that, um, um, kind of like the Williamsport games they had a few years ago too. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, look at the Little League World Series. It gets a ton of views because it appeals to kids. Got to appeal to kids. It's the key to views. Key to content. Put yes, it on TikTok. Exactly. Live, live broadcast on TikTok. And <laughs> that'll get more views than any baseball game ever if you do that. <laughs> There are a lot of eyeballs hitting TikTok these days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Little League World's another thing that's so good about it is just the emotion. Kids are having fun playing the game, and that's what everybody wants to see. We don't need all this hardball. Baseball, at the end of the day, is a game, and people have fun playing it. So that emotion needs to be center stage, and an idea like that with ESPN and Disney and getting the kids involved it's it's perfect it's a great way to get the game to be appealing to a younger generation yeah i agree and um i mean relating back to just the tv deals with like maybe you get cbs or you just focus on espn mlb tv um you gotta pay 130 dollars to watch baseball and i've thought about this i'm willing to pay the 130 dollars if you include a red zone type thing not like MLB tonight because that cuts to commercials. I want a commercial-free baseball red zone where it is on, like, if there's an insane bat flip, it cuts to that. Insane home run or, like, say Tatis is up to bat, you cut to Tatis's at bat. You cut to bets making a diving catch as much as we hate bets. Um, you no-hitter and don't leave the no-hitter unless it goes to commercial, then cut to something else, cut to a big hit. Just and you got to cut back. It's and, a no hitter. <laughs> right. And don't mention big, don't even have it at the bottom of the screen. Just cut to it and have the fans figure out why you're cutting to it. Mm-hmm. Keep them guessing. But if you can add that aspect to it, that would make $130 a little more reasonable because that adds another dynamic that adds like, now it would be tough because that's all day. You got to, you got to pay those people a lot, whoever's broadcasting it. We get Chris Rose back. Uh, that's a thought. Uh, I'm sure he'll do it. Um, MLB Network already has a great formula with MLB Tonight, like you said. But I mean, there's certain problems with it, like it goes to commercials and it's not on every night because sometimes there's the MLB Network showcase games. They got those Friday nights, or it's just they're showing a game, another game that's an exciting one, which obviously it's understandable. People want to watch those games. But MLB Tonight, is it's just an awesome product i mean there's more than hanging out late on like a friday night in the middle of summer just watching that at like one o'clock in the morning i mean it's it's great tv there's baseball talk going on but as you said it's something that needs to be in play all the time and if you put that on a streaming service like mlb.tv that would just be awesome and to get back to the chris rose point that was a big mistake by mlb network letting him go i mean Rose and Millar with intentional talk starting like 10 years ago, that just ushered in the era of allowing baseball players to be themselves and letting the kids play. It's just a show that's first off, it's great baseball talk, but second off, it lets their personality shine through. And to take one massive part of that equation, I mean, it's, it's really unfortunate because him and Millar are an awesome team and they laid the ground for people like us and people like 
Carabas and starting nine, having fun with the plus is the best way to market the game because it shows that they're human and it shows that they're good guys and it makes them easy to root for. And intentional talk started that. And it was just really sad to uh, watch the Chris Rose farewell tour a few weeks ago. That, that just wasn't right. I know his contract with COVID is tough, but they really should have made that. They could afford it. They just didn't want it. They're cheap. It is what it is. Oh, well. Yeah. And I mean, they're doing things that are detrimental to the game when you have putting people on, on TV that are complaining about it, referring to Christopher Russo here. I'm sorry, his show is entertaining, but it's not good for the game when he's going out there and complaining about Fernando Tatis bat flipping. That's something MLB is trying to promote with the whole let the kids play movement. And you're giving someone a lot of money to go out there and say otherwise. It's, it's just not a great look. I've never been a fan of him anyway. I, I don't know. Something about him bugs me. He's he's an entertaining guy, but he's just like, yeah. yeah. Outspoken like, is a word to use. Yeah, it's kind of like first take. I just like don't get entertained by him anymore. It's just like, it's almost too scripted. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with his radio background, these guys just, they want viewers, so they're going to say what it takes to get viewers. And look, I'll be the first to admit, when something big happens, I will tune in to High Heat because it's it's entertaining sometimes to listen to. But if paying someone like him coming in Chris Rose go, that's, that's just bad because a happy-go-lucky guy like Rose that's so good for the game, you, you can't let that happen. Maybe he'll go on uh, with uh, Pedro and... Or Ortiz and A Rod, maybe he'll go with them. Hopefully, that'd be nice. Yeah, those shows are amazing. And uh, along the lines of Pedro and Ortiz, this is a a big idea of mine, and I have to credit my dad too for having a, a part in this one. But thing MLB has tried to bring in a lot of new fans, but I don't think they've focused enough on the super passionate fan bases. Latin America is a huge, huge spot for that. And having some sort of Spanish MLB network, we've talked about different versions of MLB network, but a Spanish one to cater to Spanish-speaking fans here in America and down in Latin America, that would just be awesome. You have personalities like Pedro or Mike Lowell or any of these guys, really. I could go on is naming names here, but something similar to that is already in place in ESPN Deportes. And that's a very popular network. So MLB can just up their viewership even more and more by having some sort of Spanish version of the program um, for these regions that are so passionate about the game. I completely agree. I mean, that's a great point. I, I wanted to touch on like the passionate fan bases. We talked about all those rules before. Um, it almost seems like the MLB is trying too much on trying to get the new fans and not focusing enough on the fans they already have. And with all these new rules and all these changes and doctoring the game, essentially, they're losing those fans, the ones who actually watch the game and make them the money. So doing something like that, where you can get even more of like the diehards, like those Spanish, the people who speak like the Spanish language in like Latin America, those are the diehards. We say we're diehard in America. They're, we don't compare to them. Let's be honest. Yeah. And so if you can cater the game to them even more, that gets even more of your diehard viewers 
and I bet it gets even more than you thought you would get with the modern day viewers. So why not try it? Yeah, I mean, even if it doesn't house. work, just try it out for a year. Um, those, those markets are just, they're so good. Um, and you've seen, they've started to a little bit with stuff like the Puerto Rico game. And the, oh, so just look at those fans. They're going crazy. They're so much fun to watch. Um, or examples I'll throw out there. A video a few weeks back of Ronald Acuna playing ball in Venezuela, just like a pickup game doing a big bat flip that did not get nearly enough play on social media as it should have. That was, that was an awesome moment. It's just showing a superstar letting fun with the fans in his home place. I mean, that's awesome. Um, I'm not gonna lie, if, I haven't seen that video, which just shows the problem. That's the problem right there. A, a big baseball guy like you would probably love it. And here we go again, comparing sports. If there's a video of like LeBron dunking a basketball in Akron, Ohio, that's going to be all over social media, especially Instagram, because the ESPN handles are very favorable at basketball. But anyway, I digress. Um, that was didn't get enough play for something. that. And my second example is the WBC. That is amazing. Ball at its best right there. These guys are playing with so much emotion. There's moments uh, like the Javi Baez tag from the Molina, throwing the guy out. Um, all of the Latin America countries were just so much fun to watch. The brand of baseball they brought to the table, the fans going crazy. You had Puerto Rico dyeing their hair blonde, even Carlos Beltran, a veteran like him. And the games with the United States against the Dominican and Puerto Rico, that was just such good baseball. So the WBC needs to be promoted more too because I know plenty of baseball people that don't really pay enough attention to that. And it's tough because spring training is going on at the same time. And obviously it got canceled this year because of COVID and just another problem of all this going on. But that's for the best stage of baseball right there. Maybe having it every two to three years, even that's just awesome. It needs to be promoted a little bit more. I agree. I mean, the world baseball classic was a lot of fun. I mean, I remember why we, I would watch the highlights every morning before school. Cause I obviously wouldn't stay up that late, but. It was it was so much fun to see those guys the uh the Jones robbery at the wall in uh, AT and T Park, yes. amazing. Obviously, that's my home park, so I love that. Um, I will add to that, however. The Olympics is a bigger stage. We know that. We both recognize that. It's obviously a bigger stage to the world. So now that baseball is actually allowed back in the Olympics starting this year because it got postponed for a year. Let's let the MLB players play there, make it an even bigger world baseball classic. You want to obviously, you want to put the best product every time you have baseball out there, you want to put the best product out there, right? If you're, if you're the MLB, you're the head of all baseball in the U S the probably the top country who can control all this. You want to put your best product out there. So why are you banning? Why, why are you not having your top athletes out there? Why are you not letting your pro athletes out there? It's just like um, in the 1980s with the NHL. Why weren't they yeah. out there? I mean, granted, it let, I will say, the pro is, it could lead to a miracle type thing for, I know a team that's already qualified as Team Israel. That's already an underdog story. If they can go and beat the semi-pros of like the DR, Puerto Rico, US, who have great uh, semi-pros, Japan, great semi-pros, South Korea, that's a great miracle story. 
But if you can allow the pro athletes, then you're getting a World Baseball Classic on the biggest stage promoted by the Olympics, which is what you want if you're baseball, Mm -hmm. because that's going to get eyes on your product. Yeah, I could not agree more. The whole world is watching the Olympics. Let's be real. Even the World Baseball Classic for something that's awesome. The whole world probably isn't watching that. Um, Not everybody is like me getting up during high school at 5 a.m. to watch a game between uh, Japan and Taiwan. I'm just that much of a baseball nut. But anyway, um, it's an awesome stage. And as you said, the NHL has had years where they've had no problem pausing their season. So I don't see why it couldn't at least be considered by Major League Baseball because it would be so much fun to watch the players just have another opportunity to uh, go and play for their country. And unlike the W story about missing spring training for it, if they pause the season for a few weeks, it would just be like an even better all-star break. And um, to, like you said, the underdog story, that is very cool. Uh, with the sad news of Tommy Lasorda passing away last week, we saw the videos coming back of 2000 Olympics in Sydney. He led an underdog team USA up a bunch of amateurs to win the gold medal. That was such a cool moment, but the potential is just amazing. Two leaguers in the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, Tommy was sort of a great guy. Thrived in the Giants, Dodgers, Robert. We'll say that. Hated, hated the man in the rivalry. Great guy though. <laughs> if, if our listeners haven't already go on to social media and look up some, some old Tommy Lasorda video, the, the Kurt Bavacqua incident in the 80s words i can't repeat here on this podcast but just just, uh give those videos a watch they will make you laugh um so as we were talking about with latin america earlier one more idea i had for that region is get these winter league games on mlb network i don't think people would want to watch for love of the game for the 372nd time instead of a winter league game that had on the hour Fernando Tatis, all these guys. It's just, that's, again, it's awesome baseball in that region of the world. So we made it work with Korean baseball during the lockdown. That was on ESPN. Why can't we have this with the winter leagues too? There's no reason that MLB can't make that work. There's so much talent, so many top prospects. That has to be, people can see rather than like buying a subscription to a Dominican TV service. I mean, Granted, sure, you can do that, but it would just be so much better for the game to have that as something for fans to watch in the winter when they might not always pay attention to MLB Network in the winter. I agree. It's a, You just need to get the product out there more, just like we said with the Olympics. It's just getting the product out there. Just showing your product more. That's the key. And to add on to that, making the once you get the product out there, making the product better with – and they started doing this a lot better – I think in 19 with the mic'd up uh, players more. But I will say, do the mic'd up interviews, but not with the players playing. Because, I mean, they're trying to play baseball. They're not trying to focus on interviews, asking questions. That's tough as it is. Like, you're interviewing Lindor as he's getting ready for the pitch at at short. That's tough. We all know how hard baseball is anyway. You can't be doing that to the guy. You're interviewing the manager while he's trying to manage the game. That's tough to the guy. You got to interview. They, and they did this a little better last year during the COVID season. I think it was with the Cardinals. Jack Flaherty was pitching. They interviewed uh, Adam Wainwright. Great. 
interview the starters who aren't pitching that day. Those guys are just fans that day, essentially. Interview those guys. They're going to give you the same analytics, the same, like, stuff you want. Just they're going to be able to focus more on the interview. And if you want to interview a coach, interview, like, the bench coach or something. A pit, interview uh, a hitting coach. or I don't know. Just don't interview the guys who are so involved with the game at the time. Yeah, I mean, I love it. And you see, like, they've done the mic'd up interviews during spring training training in the all-star game which for exhibitions i guess it's all right even if they're trying to focus they're not as completely laser focused as they would be during a regular season postseason game so i mean that's produced some great content the last few years hopefully espn keeps that up because i believe they're the main ones that have been doing those interviews and fox for the all-star game of course but um that's just that's great content and like Freddie Freeman, they had him mic'd up in the 2019 All-Star Game, I remember, during his first step at. Mm-hmm. He was, like, making digs back to the Cannon Empire. It was hilarious, but um, obviously, it's tough to do during a regular season game. So just get mics on the players. Uh, the Red Sox did that well this year during the shutdown. Nesson uh, made sure to mic up guys like Davis and Verdugo. Very entertaining characters. So that produced some some fun content. Yeah, no, I'm fine with them miking up during spring training. Like, I remember in 18, I think, they had Mookie mic'd up during a game. And he's, like, going to check his uh, sheet and everything, and he's talking them through. That's fine. He, It's spring training. He's a superstar. He doesn't have to focus. You can mic him up during that, interview him. He had the fly ball where he's like, I'm not getting to this place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, like, playing with his chains and stuff. Mike him. This is what I'll say. Mic him up for everything. Always have the guys mic'd up. Don't have an earpiece in their ear all the time. Earpieces are fine for like, you can even have them during the World Baseball Classic because that's intense. But I'd probably prefer just mic'd up there mm-hmm. because then you can get some raw footage, which you not always can play on TV, um, of course. But like the All-Star game, have them mic'd up. Then maybe when they're in the field, have them. Or even for like a Freddie Freeman type of bat, interview them during the bat. That would be awesome. It's the all-star game. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Just throw in an interview while they're batting. That would be awesome talking through a sequence, like what he's looking for with pitches. Yeah, I mean, it's an awesome way to grow the game just by hearing what these guys says. And I mean, look, there can be a gentleman's rule between them and the producers. If, if they say something that they don't think should be broadcast, they obviously won't do that. But just have them like, you know, ragging on the center fielder or making jokes to the catcher. It's, it's great content. As I said, with intentional talk, it shows the human side of the game. And with analytics, it seems like we want to make all these players into robots, but we're trying to market the game of baseball. These guys are fun people. They have fun playing the game they love. So we need to capture that. Um, It's like another idea I thought is maybe have some sort of hard knocks type show going behind the scenes of spring training. You don't need to film any top secret content, but just like, Hey, we're make we're figuring out the schedule for tomorrow. This is what the process looks like. We got the players working out. These are the type of things that they'll do in the weight room. Um, fly ball drills, mic them up. We've had little segments like backstage Dodgers or the Red Sox report. They'll do something similar covering spring training, but just focus on one team. Maybe make a deal with HBO or Showtime to put it on there. Just some or great even, content. Yeah, or you can even do multiple because I know they share state uh, stadiums in spring training. Yeah. Um, But no, content is what, so the MLB wants to keep their fans, right? And so get rid of all those dumb rules that we hate, but they also want to grow into a new fan base. 
Well, all these young people, they're all on TikTok. They're all on social media. You know what's on social media is content. HBO, all this hard knock stuff, the mic'd up stuff. That's all content. That's YouTube, that's Instagram, that's TikTok. Even Twitter, Snapchat could be if you want. Content's the key to growing the game if they want the younger guys. They're not going to watch a – no one – if they expect a younger kid to watch a full baseball game, that's it's crazy because they can barely watch a 60-second TikTok. Yeah. Um, but if they want to make some co- cool content videos, like five-minute videos on YouTube or, like, some cool highlight packages, like I know for Fairfield, that's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing, like, one-minute videos on Instagram. Just cool videos for recruits to look at. They don't have more, even if they're interested in the school, they're not going to look at the video for more than a minute, really, unless it's a cool hype video. But that's what you got to do. You got to, and uh, I know we talked about this before, having, they have like five Instagrams or whatever MLB does. Each Instagram should be a specific thing. Mm-hmm. That way you can have multiple sources of content for each thing. Each person can follow which type of content they like. And then boom, you grow the game even bigger than you thought you would. I love it. I mean, there's a niche for everybody there. Um, and people like us will probably follow all five. So do whatever you'd like to do. It spreads the game even more. Um, and like with the hard knock stuff, you can have a coach become a folk hero like uh, Bob Wiley with the Browns. When would an offensive line coach ever get that much play? But thanks to hard knocks, he became this like super fun character that everybody liked to follow. Um, so yeah, and... To add one more point to the social media, um, this is another thing that kind of experimented with during summer camp, but it's not something that has really grown. Playing around with like a hitter or catcher or umpire camera, something like that, that you can maybe live stream on Twitter or Instagram. Like say, stand in in the box with Michael Chavis against Jacob DeGrom. Would just be such a cool opportunity to see like, this is what you see in the batter's box of a major league stadium as a guy throwing 99 sinking, see how that moves. I mean, it's great. It gives perspective that no one can match and it gives kids incentive to try to play because they're like, okay, I think I can hit that. Let's see what I got. Yeah. To go off of that, I think uh, that's one thing like a sport like golf, which is also kind of a sport that's looking for those younger viewers. They've done a, big thing with that where they're live streaming a lot of their content they do a horrible with tv but they live stream a lot of their content on twitter with like they're like on the bag with dustin johnson on the bag with brooks kepka where it's just a camera on them the entire round practice round usually sometimes live round and you're just hearing the talk between them and the caddy and it's cool like that if you can do that for baseball like just keep a camera even if it's not like right in the box like maybe it's just one camera behind the catcher or like on the umpires, like have the umpire wear a GoPro or something. That'd be cool. Yeah. The catcher probably won't wear a GoPro, but umpire wear a GoPro. And then you, you can hear everything. You can hear like the back and forth between the catcher and batter. It's just cool like that. And broadcast broadcasted on these social media networks. Great way to grow the game. Yeah. We've seen something a little similar when Fox had those. I don't know if you remember the little cameras in the dirt in front of home plate there. They took them out in like 2014 because of sign ceiling concerns because it was just zoomed right on the catcher. But that was some cool content too. I mean, even put something like that and just turn it around so you can see the pitch coming in. As we've said, there's so many different ways they can go, but we just need to get this idea improved more and more so it can be implemented. Yeah, when they hire us. Yes, sir. That would be a beautiful thing. <laughs> um, 
And then one more idea I would like to uh, have is, and this goes along kind of with like a lot of the stuff, like I guess A-Rod is already a great example of that, but he's not really who I'm talking about. Tony Romo, the NFL is a great idea, a great example. He's predicting place or he's like saying what team should run. Usually he's right. Sometimes he's wrong, but he should be right because the team sucks. Um, so I'm thinking get like four, get a guy like uh, now Veritech's obviously a coach now, but a guy like Veritech, a guy uh, like Tim Linscombe, I think he's retired now. Matt Kane for the Giants, uh, even Schilling, he's crazy, but you could get him. <laughs> Pay, Pedro's a great example. That would be get a guy like that. Put him, put him in the booth, and just have them as the third guy or the second guy as the color commentator, just saying like, all right, this is what's going through the pitcher's mind, or this is what's going through the catcher's mind when calling the signals. And this is what should be thrown in this pitch count, or this is what should be going to this batter and all that stuff. I know like I enjoy when I'm watching a baseball game, that's what like keeps me involved. It's like, I'm looking at the sequences, I'm watching, I'm studying and I'm like, all right, this is the pitch that should be thrown. This is the pitch that could be thrown. And then boom, that's the pitch that's thrown. It's one of those two. There's no other option. It's usually I'm usually I guess one. I usually say this. All right, it's a one-two count. Uh, change up outside to a righty. That's mm-hmm. I'm I'm usually right with a lot of the Giants guys because I just know their sequences. But if you can get a guy in the booth like that who can do that, it, the younger guys maybe you get like a highlight package of Pedro just calling out pitches. The younger yeah. guys be like, whoa, he's a genius. How can we learn more from him? It's no different than you can go on YouTube and find Tony Romo predicting. I mean, like you said, and uh, credit where credit is due. This guy right here was Colby was Tony Romo during the postseason. He was he was predicting a lot of things that were going down. <laughs> um, MLB had something good like this. Uh, Joe Girardi, when he was in the booth in 2019, he was kind of like trying to prove that he knew analytics a little bit to get back into the dugout. But he was given some really good insight on um, kind of some projections. So that was, that was cool. Um, something like guy. that. Bruce Bochy, great guy for that. Perfect. That would be amazing. He'd be hilarious. How can you not love Bochy? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm going to brag, obviously. I, I knew everything that was like, I knew what was happening in the World Series. You know, they say sign stealing. No, I was telling the Astros which pitches were coming. Yeah. <laughs> Oh boy, we got another conspiracy theory on our hands, folks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's something that's an awesome idea. And another thing I will mention is there's there's a lot of announcers, not all of them, but there's a fair share of them. You'll flip through baseball games, you hear a lot of them complaining about things like pace of play. We need to get these guys to be focusing. You're promoting the game. People don't want to turn the game on and hear you say, oh, this pitcher is taking forever. Oh my God. This roster is so thin right now. You need to be making it exciting for people. That's your job as an announcer. That's what Vin Scully did so good for 67 years with all the stories and everything. He made baseball fun. We can't have announcers, to go back to my Mad Doug Russo example, that are criticizing and complaining about what the game looks like. I completely agree. I know the Red, the, I think the Red Sox announcers are like good with not complaining. I know the Giants guys are. They got two sets of them. Like, they, uh, they were all former players uh, for the Giants. So I know like, yeah, I mean, obviously pace of play isn't ideal. You want, 
you don't want to sit there for three and a half hours. No one does. Like, even if you love baseball, you're not going to want to sit watching. Like, I can't do that either. But, like, when the game's on, I want to watch it. I don't want to hear guys complaining. Mm-hmm. And that's why, in my opinion, the best booths that MLB has, aside from, like, the main national guys, are those StatCast broadcasts on ESPN, too. Kind of circling back to what we talked about a little bit. But those are awesome in terms of making all the advanced analytics a little more easy to digest and kind of having fun with them. I always enjoy listening to those. So hopefully ESPN keeps that up in the coming years. Yeah, having a fun – have a fun broadcast, have a StatCast broadcast with, like, analytic-based – have an informative broadcast with players and then just have your national broadcast. That's five different four or five. I don't know. It's four or five different channels. That's how you grow. That's another way to grow the game nationally. I mean, we had the college football game, the playoff the other night on five different channels. That's no reason you can't do that for baseball. Five different channels and still only got five more million viewers than game six, of the world series. How about that? See, that's the thing. As we said, baseball is already doing a lot well. These are just some ideas that can make it even better and have the numbers go through the roof because it's such an awesome sport that it deserves to have the numbers through the roof. We know they're never going to compete with the NFL. That's not like we, we recognize that. We're, we're realists. We want it to. Especially but... that's a sport once a week. So let's be real. Yeah, they're going to get yeah. a lot of viewers. But I mean, f- being firmly number two in the U.S., that's attainable, I think. Absolutely not. Du- not during March Madness, obviously, because that's a whole nother <laughs> ball game. But aside from March Madness, that's attainable. Like postseason baseball, you can get that. The only thing that really compares is postseason hockey, and but that's that's another discussion. Yeah, and exactly. And, and being one more point Boston, I want to throw out. One more point I want to throw out there is expansion. That's that's a big topic. Um, it was a shame you saw Dave Dombrowski was a part of the Nashville expansion efforts, but he got some intel from Manfred that it probably was, wasn't going to happen for at least a few more years, once again, because of COVID. So, but the, Boy, Nashville, that's their cover-up. Cover maybe. Nashville and Portland are two cities I would love to see baseball go into, especially with the minor leagues getting shrunk down a little bit. You've had less teams. Expansion is a great way to grow the game. I mean, expansion is it's in its name, but um, you saw this was something MLB did in a response to the 1994 strike, which God forbid that ever happens again. But anyway, hmm. expansion would be awesome, and those are two cities that they're great markets. So I I love the Nashville idea because you need a you need another East Coast team. I I say instead of Portland, you do Vegas because I think Portland's a little still too close to the Mariners, and I don't think I don't think Oregon and Washington can support two or one team each. Like, I don't know. I just feel like that's a little too close with all those California teams still. Like Oakland's right there. Mm-hmm. And Vegas is booming right now. We don't uh, – the fact baseball doesn't have a Vegas team. Like, put them – uh, football just got a Vegas team. NHL just got a Vegas team. Let's get baseball a Vegas team now. Perfect. It, it works out. Get, just get the boom in going. I mean, it's a great point. I definitely can argue that. I'd love to see Vegas. Um, I feel like 32 is the best number for expansion. So two more teams. I think we could agree on Nashville and Vegas. I mean, Portland, there's been a huge movement for it on social media. But you're right. The Pacific Northwest does have the Mariners. 
maybe if we get the Mariners into the playoffs every now and then, it could be <laughs> even better. But I mean, I mean, that's that's a beautiful city and a great ballpark. So you'd love to see them thrive a little more. But really, you expand anywhere. You're doing baseball a great service. And who knows, maybe a team like Tampa Bay might be moving at some point in the next few years. There's been plenty of chatter about that. Yeah, and I mean, you can even do it like how, like you don't have to do it expanding. You don't have to do two teams at the same time. You can do it like what the NHL did where you do one team, then wait two years, do another team to like get the revenue flowing and everything, get that team steady, then build up the next team just with like the expansion drafts and all that because it's, yeah. it's a hassle. We all know that there's money involved. We, there's a lot of money. We, we know that we're business majors. We get all that. So like, let's say you do, I mean, you'd probably have to do Vegas first, just cause that's a better economy I'd say than Nashville, just like being able to stabilize as of right now with the boom. Um, so you do Vegas. If they, I, I doubt they do it in 2022, maybe 2023, hopefully. And then you got, then you get Nashville in 2025, ideally. So then by 2030, you got two, you got two competing expansion teams. That would be awesome. I mean, and there's no reason Vegas can't be a big market team as long as they have a good owner that's willing to spend. They can be right up there with Boston, New York, LA, San Fran. And I could see Nashville as more of a market like St. Louis, even if they don't always spend the most, it's just an awesome, awesome baseball culture. And it's such a fun town to watch a game in. Yeah, St. Louis or Milwaukee, I'd say. Yeah, that's a good, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think so. They won't be like Tampa with no fans. They got, yeah. Bra- they got Vrabel there to endorse them. Yes, definitely. Um, and plenty of jokes out there this week of the Rays announcing that there would be about like 20% capacity. That's perfectly fine for the trap because they're used to that. <laughs> 20%? That's, that's what, two people? A little, little generous there. I'd say that's maybe two, two to ten people showing up. We could easily yeah. get tickets for a team that does a lot of winning. It's, uh, it's a shame, and you see why baseball has had these conversations about moving to a new market. Yeah, live show at Tropicana. Yeah. One more thing I want to mention before we get out of here is retire number 21 for Roberto Clemente. I've talked about Latin America throughout the whole show, but he's a great hero to those guys. He didn't break any barriers like Jackie Robinson, but he certainly faced a lot of roadblocks and he did so much good right down to how he passed away in the plane crash, giving relief to Nick Wagger for the hurricane. Get that done. Retire number 21. I second that. Nothing else you can say about that. Yes, sir. All right. Did you have anything else to add? No, I think, uh, all right. I think that's it for, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it uh, and how we can market and appeal to audiences better, both young, old, middle, all of, all of the above. Uh, On next week's episode, uh, we haven't firmly decided what's going to happen. Probably going to continue with some more MLB talk, probably going to be some trades or signings that happen. Cause as we know, hot stoves picking up, uh, we might transition a little bit to uh, some college baseball talk as we're both moving back into college. Uh, Hunter's moving in Sunday. I'm moving in next Saturday. So our seasons are going to be starting up soon. So we'll make sure to get you some of those guys on soon uh, to get some perspective from D1 uh, college baseball players. Uh, and make sure to stay tuned uh, on our socials uh, at 
Beyond the Diamond podcast on Instagram and Beyond the DIA pod on Twitter. Um, for tweet us on at uh, tweet us with any questions you have that you want us to talk about, and uh, check our Instagram for memes and uh, updates about our episodes. Thanks, guys. Yes. Can't wait to get back into college, and uh, the season's coming soon. Go check out on social media some pictures of uh, UConn's first practice this spring at Brand New Elliott Ballpark. It is awesome. Make sure to uh, stay tuned to uh, Stags underscore baseball because uh, your boy's going to be running that page. There is some special content coming your way, guys. So all of our college baseball fans, stay tuned. Good stuff coming soon. All right. See you guys. All right, guys. Thanks for listening.